Good morning, Orangewood. How is everybody this morning? You ready to hear from Jesus? I sure hope so. I'm ready to tell you about Jesus and what a privilege uh, God has given me. If you will turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Today we continue our journey in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, We're looking at this theme, the power of weakness. Uh, kind of an antithetical thinking that we typically have of, of what weakness really means. Today, we're going to look at this crazy thought that God gives us that there's power of affliction. So if you're here today and you're weak and you're here today and you have been or you're going through affliction, I have such good news for you that God has a message for you. And if you're not going through affliction, my thoughts are you've been there. And if you haven't been there, and you haven't, uh, aren't going through it, can you stand up and tell us what you're doing? No. Um, we know it's going to happen, don't we? Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson, the, uh, the inaugural winner of the very first American Idol. Uh, have you heard her latest song uh, that's in the, on the radio? Uh, it says, basically, what doesn't kill you makes you Is that not a song that resonates with Americans? Is that not just something that kind of resonates with us? Uh, The reality that what doesn't kill us, well, it's going to make us stronger. Do you know where that came from? Although it feels good to Americans uh, really kind of growing up saying, you know, grit your teeth and get through things and it's going to make you stronger. You know where it actually originated from? Kind of interesting. Friedrich Nietzsche. The German uh, uh, philosopher, certainly controversial, was the very first one who coined that term, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Is he right? Is Kelly Clarkson right? Is that good theology? Is that biblical theology? Because Paul is going to tell us something quite different. Paul is going to say, what doesn't kill us shouldn't make us stronger. Really, it's the opposite. What doesn't kill us in life, the afflictions that come our way, the trouble, the burdens, the strife of trying to live a godly life in a broken world should actually make us weaker. Hmm. The things of life that God providentially sends our way, especially when we're standing up for him. Those things, those trials, those afflictions should not only make us weaker, it should make us more dependent on God, not independent from God. So as we continue this series, let's look at verses 8 through 11. It's exactly where we left off last week. And let's see and ask God to come and and show us a power of affliction that is completely antithetical of what we maybe have thought in the past. Let's hear God's holy and errant word. Never lead us astray. We can trust this without error in the original. And God loves us enough to to give us this letter, Orangewood, for us today. Living and active, God's word. And so let's respect God's word today. Let's just show our love. Let's just stand. Uh, Stand together as I read 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 through 11. Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. Have you ever been there? And we thought we would never live through it. 
In fact, we expected to die. The Greek there is, in fact, we had a death sentence. But as, as a result, as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger. And he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him. And he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, would you come with such clarity today. I'm such clarity in the power of your presence that we can clearly understand the power of affliction. God, it seems to be that that doesn't doesn't kill us should make us stronger, but you have something else for us. You say those things in life, those trials, those afflictions, they should actually soften us. They should actually make us dependent upon Jesus. God, they should allow us to stand upon Christ, the solid rock, and stand upon him alone and know the beautiful reality that Jesus is enough. So God, would you come and would you open the minds and our hearts to know that reality? Speak through a broken sinner like me. God, I know there are many who are afflicted even right now that need to hear the message of hope that you have for us. So come and be teacher Come and be Savior. Come and be Father. Come and love us well. And so we can go and love others in your name well. We pray in Christ's name. You may be seated. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Hey, we had one of the coolest things happen on our campus this week that's ever happened. Orangewood Christian School put on a mock crash right before prom. Uh, A few months ago, I got a call from uh, Maitland Fire Department. I have the privilege of being a chaplain for them. And they said they wanted to put on this mock crash on our campus. I I didn't really, to be honest with you, I didn't think a whole lot about it. But when it took place and we actually rehearsed for it, my goodness, what an amazing uh, perspective that we gave to students about the ills, the, the power, or, or, or actually the, uh, the terrible nature of driving under the influence of alcohol. Let me tell you what happened. Uh, we had all the kids come out, and they sat up in the bleachers. So you had the whole student body. It was kind of hot, to be honest with you. But we were all out there, and you had three scenes set up on the football field. You had a scene with a couch and a TV and a mom and a dad waiting for the date to arrive for their daughter to go to prom. Uh, and then they come and they do the pictures and a few words are said like, don't forget the rules, drive safely. And then the next scene, they're, they're at prom and there's uh, uh, some pouring of alcohol into drinks and a, and a word saying, hey, let's go to a party. And so they kind of head off to that party and, and leave, uh, go behind stage, if you will. And all of a sudden the speakers play a horrible crash. And right in the middle of the field was a car undercover. And as soon as they pulled the cover back, oh, it was horrific. They had a girl uh, out on the hood of the car, and the, the makeup and the reality of it was, was pretty amazing. And uh, they had two kids in the back 
that needed to get out. Um, and they had one kid who was driving, who dialed 911, and he's saying, where are you, where are you? It was amazing. At that time, here come the cop cars. At that time, here comes the fire department, hook and ladder, right onto the scene. You ready for this? They got the jaws of life out and cut off the top of the car. They got the kids out of the, the, uh, the car. One didn't make it in this scenario into a body bag. Man, was that poignant. One they had to put into an uh, ambulance. They had a helicopter come. They had a medical evac helicopter come and land and take another child away. And then they arrested the child who was uh, playing the part of being intoxicated. And to have the whole sobriety test right there in front of the student body. To have him handcuffed and placed in a cop car. And then my role came. I came with a, a policeman, a Maitland PD. We came in on the field and we walked to the door to tell the parents what happened. I tell you, it was make-believe. It was only to give a perspective, a perspective of DUI. But the mom who was playing the mom has got some pain in her life currently uh, with her own child. And she let out a blood-curdling yell that was just haunting. I couldn't help but weep. Wow, what a perspective to try to show uh, another side of, of drinking and driving and just the ills of that. Well, getting a right perspective is important for us. And Paul wants us to have a perspective of the crashes, not the mock crashes, the real crashes that Paul endured in life while under the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, in love with Jesus, Paul, who's given his life to Jesus under the influence of all of his life, of this good news, is now living his life for our great God. And as he lives his life for God, my oh my, does he have some scrapes, bumps, bruises, and crashes that God wants us to see a different perspective of life about. We're going to look at four things. You want to look in your bulletin. There's an outline for you there about lives that are lived under the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's all of us, a call to all of us. And there's four things that God wants us to see today. The first thing we'll see is the proper perspective of affliction. This is a proper perspective. How should we see this as Christians? We'll see that in verse 8. In verse 9, we'll see the purpose of affliction. Why? Why does the God allow these things into our life? What is the purpose for them? Thirdly, in verse 10, we're going to see the hope of affliction. That in the midst of that, there's a hope that will never die. And in verse 11, lastly, we'll see the power and the purpose of prayer in affliction. But let's again, let's look back to verse 8 as we see the proper perspective of affliction. Paul writes to the church in Corinth saying, hey, we want you to know about this, dear brothers and sisters. We don't want you to not be informed about what has happened to us. We, we've gone through some trouble. As a matter of fact, Paul says, the trouble we went through, it's just pressed upon us, it's overflowed us. I mean, the trouble was so great, we really thought we were gonna die. We weren't gonna make it through. Have you ever had that kind of trouble? I mean, talk about uh, trouble. Talk about the reality. But where did that trouble come from to help us get the proper perspective? And it's this. This is a person of God doing the work of God, experiencing trouble that's almost taking away his life. And the first thing we got to realize is this. The people of God doing God's work 
go through troubles. Do you know that? The people of God going through and doing God's work should expect in a broken, sin-filled world to have troubles. But if we look at scripture, we compare verse, the verses and what God says about trouble. It's very interesting. In James, James 1, 2, God tells us that we should consider it joy when trouble comes. We should consider it joy and rejoice that God has given us the privilege to suffer for his name. As a matter of fact, uh, we are told uh, in 1 Peter 4, 12, as Christians, Hey, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal that's coming your way. Don't be surprised by affliction. Don't be surprised by the things that, that we that come into our lives, but rejoice. Okay, what is up with that? What is up with the Bible that says, hey, trouble's coming, count it joy. Trouble's coming, rejoice. I mean, come on, it's pretty antithetical, isn't it? And we want to say, how in the world can you have that perspective? Here's why. Because when troubles come your way, when storms come your way, because you are standing up for Christ like Paul was doing, because you are advancing his kingdom, rejoice. Why? Because you are having an impact. Rejoice. Why? Because God is using you. Rejoice because you're in the game. I tell you, one of the greatest joys I had in high school, now I'll be honest with you, the greatest joy I had in high school was playing high school football. I mean, I love playing football, preparing all week for Friday night under the lights, uh, out there uh, playing in front of your student body. It's funny, by the way, uh, when you're in high school and you're playing high school football, you actually think the people in the stands are watching the game. (laughs) And you think that they're watching your every move and you're so excited about it. And then you get older and you go to games and you think, They're just socializing. They're not even paying attention. But you know what the worst thing can happen in a high school football game? You know the worst thing that can happen to a player? It's to turn in a clean uniform. It's to get at the end of the game, at the end of the game, and there you are, and everybody's in the locker room, and and you're going to put your uniform in, and there's not a spot on it. There's not a grass stain. There's nothing. You know what that means? That means you didn't play. You were catching pine. That, that means you didn't contribute. That, that means it didn't matter if you were there or you weren't. Interesting, for Christians, God, who, who calls us uh, uh, to follow and live for him, he says, life is such a battle. You ready for this? I'm going to give you a suit of armor. I'm going to give you a suit of armor. Why does God give his people, his church, a suit of armor? To keep it shiny? To keep it clean? Heck no, because we're in a battle. He knows we're in the battle. Do you know the worst thing that could happen to you and the worst thing that could happen to this church is at the end of our life, at the end of existence, when we stand before Jesus, we turn in a clean uniform. We turn in a suit of armor without any kinks in it, without any dents in it, without any war battles in it. He calls us to engage with darkness. He calls us to go into the world and stand for him. He's given us a suit of armor, which by the way, John Montgomery reminded me after the early service, he gives us nothing for a protection of our back to turn and run. Everything is up front. And a life well lived is a life that has armor on for the glory of God that says, I remember this kink, man. It was, it was a battle struggle of 2000, the cancer struggle of 2009. 
I, I remember this. This, is, this was the persecution I got when I decided to stand up for Jesus in, uh, in my workplace and declare who I was following Christ. This, this is in the neighborhood when, when I decided to pass out books that told folks about the reality of Jesus. This is the ridicule I've taken from here. This is a, the, uh, the privilege of being bruised and, and battered for the glory of God. I mean, God has given us a suit of armor. For the love of Mike, church, don't turn it in without having some dents and kinks in it. Because it really will mean your life really didn't matter. You really didn't play. You really didn't contribute. And God has not rescued one person through the blood of his son to sit on the sidelines. He didn't rescue one person at the end of the day to turn in a clean uniform. He says, go and battle for me. And by the way, make sure you're not following anybody in life, no mentor in life who doesn't have kinks in their armor. Don't follow anybody who's got a nice shiny armor and is trying to keep it all clean and pure. Look for those in life, those in life who have battled through the battles that are deep and hard, that have gone through it and they know the reality that on Christ, the solid rock, they stand. Do you know that Christianity is supposed to be a contact sport? It's true. You know, Christianity is supposed to be a contact sport that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He set this incredible love on us, not so that we can be a holy huddle, not so that we can avoid this nasty, dark world. He has given us this great love and equipped us with the Holy Spirit and given us the armor so that we can go and mix it up with the world for his glory. So that we, he calls us, the church, to have contact with a broken world. Continually, always. Christianity is a contact sport. And we're supposed to play offense. We're supposed to play offense and go out there for the glory of God. And if your uniform is clean, and if your armor has no kinks in it, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You know, it's interesting to be a parent these days, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if it's much different than other years, but uh, for typical parents, we will do anything we can to protect our kids. But I think that we have maybe the wrong mindset. Maybe, obviously, we don't want to needlessly put our kids in harm's way. But don't we want to teach our children the reality that, that God is for us wherever we go? And, and, and maybe the reality is while they live under our roofs to have some, some skin knees and some bumps and bruises to realize that God is going to use those things. It's amazing how hard I think that we as parents sometimes spend sheltering our kids. Instead of saying, God, would you use my kid to be light for you wherever he is? And God, if it includes being broken and bruised, may they know the love of Jesus every step of the way. I think for the church, we have that too. We want to be safe. We, 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 want, to, we want to make sure that we're, we're clean and we're pure. And those are good things. Sometimes we realize, we lose the reality that Christianity is supposed to be a contact sport. Paul says to the church in Corinth, I don't want you to be unaware. We were nearly killed. I mean, we didn't think we were going to make it out of it. I mean, it was amazing what happened. We, we do the work of God. Have the perspective. He gives you a suit of armor for a reason. The second thing we see is the purpose of affliction in verse 9. In verse 9, Paul didn't rejoice saying, hey, I got news for you, uh, those in, in Corinth. Uh, what didn't kill me has made me stronger. Good news, uh, God had given us a death sentence, it seemed like. I mean, all of life, we were despairing. But there's good news, I'm stronger. That was not what Paul ran to. He rejoiced for another reason. 
He rejoiced and said, that which didn't kill me, guess what happened? I'm now more dependent upon God. That which didn't kill me has stripped away so many things that I was building my life on. So many things that I had hope in. So many wrong thoughts about myself. And it just showed me Jesus. And it just was the reality that when the storms of life came and it was me and Jesus alone, I have good news. Jesus is enough. And now I'm going to rely on him more and more and more. I could hear Jesus saying, you've heard it said, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger, but what doesn't kill you should weaken you. It should soften you. And your hope shouldn't be in yourself. Your hope should be in God. May God come into your life. Pastor, you're going to say this to me. May God come into your life in such a powerful way with afflictions as well. And may he ruin and shatter your dreams that aren't built on Christ the solid rock. May he come into your life in such a powerful way that he will love us enough to show, listen, listen, hang in there with me, that he'll show us enough that, you know what? Our righteousness isn't good enough. May he ruin our lives enough to realize that we truly are broken sinners that need to be robed in a righteousness greater than our own. We need to be robed in God's righteousness in Christ Jesus. May God come into this church and into our lives and convince us that your strength, my strength's not good enough. May he buckle our knees through life where we realize it's not about us mustering up a little bit more strength and going through one more storm. But may we realize in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our frailty, that ready, almighty God is good enough. Almighty God is strong enough. Our Father loves us. Our Father is with us. Our Father will keep us. May God love us enough to blast the storms in our lives that show us our strength isn't enough. May God give us in the situations in our lives that we realize that earthly wisdom is not enough. The way we want to live our lives, the way we want to negotiate life. May we learn what Paul said in the first letter to the Corinthians, that the wisdom of God far surpasses the wisdom of man. And may we be a people in a church that's foolish enough to say, we're going to live our lives following Jesus. We're going to live our lives believing that God's word is true. We're going to be so foolish that we're going to live our lives for him and his glory under his wisdom. You know, the purpose of affliction is to have us be able to say, I can't. I am unable, but God can. May God teach us that reality. You know, it's interesting when trouble comes, this blessed trouble that God brings into our lives so that we trust God. But trouble often drives us away from God. I think naturally that's where we want to run. Every time as a pastor, when I show up in a broken situation, I know that we're at a crossroads. I know that there's one thing that can happen. You're going to go this way and run from God, or you're going to run this way and run to God. And may God give us the grace to run to him. Because trouble with the wrong attitude is toxic. Did you hear me? Trouble with the wrong attitude is truly toxic. When affliction comes your way and you're saying things like this, God, I deserve better. When troubles come and you say, God, maybe you're not good or maybe God, you don't love me. When trouble comes and you inwardly turn and you inwardly turn about your own stuff instead of upwardly turn to God, it can be very, very toxic. You know that God is going to put you in places that will induce you to put all your trust and hope in his sufficiency. Did you hear that? Let me tell you about this God. I mean, sometimes we want a safe God. And sometimes we want a God that will just take away the storms. But I want to tell you about the God of the Bible. He will continually place you in situations that will induce you to put all of your trust 
in Him alone. All of your sufficiency in Him alone. God will love you so much that He will obliterate that beautiful dream life of yours. He will obliterate and shatter many of your dreams that aren't His. That's the way He loves us. Oh, the power of affliction. The power of affliction that reminds us that we need to build our life on Christ. It's about His blood and righteousness. That's our only hope. Our hope is built on nothing less. The blessing of really walking by faith. This really, to me, is a call of a blessing to walk by faith and not by sight. That's the blessing of affliction. I want to walk by sight so much. I read a devotion uh, this week that really helped me. It talked about, it was from Spurgeon. He talked about, if I lived a sinless life, if I, even if I could be perfect, I'd still rather live by faith in Christ because then I would have the righteousness of God. Then I would have the position in faith by God's grace of God's child. May you and I live our lives truly by faith. Clarkson, you got it wrong. Nietzsche, you got it wrong. What doesn't kill us shouldn't make us strong. It should make us dependent on Jesus. Okay, then we have in verse 10 the hope of affliction. What is the hope of affliction? Basically, verse 10 is this. It uses three tenses of the word delivered. It basically wants us to know this about your God. You ready to hear this about your God? God has delivered us. You ready to hear this about your God? Your God has nailed all your brokenness, all your sin on the cross of Christ Jesus. And it was sufficient. It worked. God has delivered us. And you ready for this? God is delivering us. God is right now. It's he who began a good work in us. It's his hand that's upon us. God is delivering us. And you ready for this? God will deliver us. He will deliver us. He doesn't lose one of us. One of us, by his grace that are his sheep, he will lose none. He who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So what is the hope of affliction? Is that God will deliver. Well, how do we know it? Well, in the end of verse 9, because God raises the dead. Because God raises the dead is basically God um, telling Paul, pull out the trump card, Paul. The greatest enemy, death and sin, have been defeated. God raises the dead. So if if your uh, uh, struggles don't necessarily make you stronger, if that doesn't kill you, doesn't make you strong, make you more dependent. But if it does kill you, you're with me. And good news, I raise the dead. Therefore, we have this amazing trump card in life, knowing personally, intimately, as Father, the one the one who holds life and death in his hands, the one who raises the dead. My favorite card game on vacation is Hearts. Have you ever played it? Hearts is a great game. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit scoring like golf. I mean, Hearts is kind of like a, the low person with a score wins. And what you do in Hearts is this, is uh, as you play, uh, you don't want to have any uh, uh, tricks. Uh, you, you win a trick with a high card. You don't want any that have a heart in there because if you get a heart, uh, that's a point against you. And then you really don't want the queen of spades because the queen of spades is 13 points against you. We call it the old lady. And so you play your game. But every time uh, I get my hand delivered, I'm hoping for a certain hand because if you have the right hand, you could do something called shoot the moon. Let me tell you about shoot the moon. Shoot the moon is when you say, all right, I'm going to try to play this in a way that not, not getting any hearts. I want all of them. I want every heart. 
I want every heart and the queen of spades because then if I have all the hearts and the queen of spades, although it looks like I have 26 points, really everybody else gets 26 points and you get zero. And then you have the right to start just absolutely boasting like, nanny, nanny, I, you know, you got 26, you got 20. I'm never obnoxious about that, really, as far as you know. I have the personality, it might surprise you, I want to shoot the moon every time. Every time. <laughs> but you got to have the cards. you got to have the cards to be able to go for it. And listen, this is, what, this is what God is saying to us. We have the trump card. Jesus lives. God raises the dead. He has delivered us he is delivering us. He will deliver us. Church, go for it. Shoot the moon. I mean, shoot the moon. Don't play it safe. I mean, go out there into the world and, and just know that as God calls you into those places of brokenness, those places of darkness, those places to shine for him, he is delivering you. You have the trump card in Christ Jesus. You know what the enemy wants to say to you, church? Play it safe. Play it safe. Church, stay right here. I mean, don't go and engage that scary, terrible world. Don't, don't try to make a difference in your neighborhood. Don't try to make a difference in your workplace. Just play it safe. I mean, come here to this church and soak it all in for you. Don't give anything out. Don't try to make world change. Don't try to make a difference. And Paul is saying to shoot the moon, church. Shoot the moon. Because you have the good news of Jesus Christ to go and make a difference for the love of Mike. Don't turn in a clean uniform. Go for it. You got the cards. If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, he raises the dead. Even death doesn't separate us from the love of Christ. Even death, he's overcome everything. Talk about the power of affliction, the hope of affliction. <laughs> Shoot the moon. How about the power and purpose of prayer? And, and, and lastly, verse 11. So let's, let's look at that verse together as we close because it's pretty amazing and we need to hear verse 11. And you are helping us, Paul says, by praying for us. And then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Did you hear the power of our prayers? Did you hear the reality that our prayers go more than to the ceiling? Did you hear what God just said to us? He said this, I hear your prayers. Good news. I hear your prayers. Even those that are unrecognizable uh, because they're guttural, just moans. I hear your prayer. But there's more than that. God not only hears our prayers, God uses our prayers. God uses our prayers to advance his kingdom. God uses our prayers to, to protect one another. Are you praying for people in this church? Because they need it. Are you banging on heaven's door for, for those that are in affliction right now? Are you just praying for them? Let me tell you, what a gift. It, it talks about this. It talks about many with uplifted faces. There's a Hebrew here. Many with, up, or the Greek, many with uplifted faces uh, praying to God for others. What a glorious thing. The power of prayer that God not only hears, but he uses our prayers. It says God's gracious favor. The Greek word charisma is where we get that, as is seen in many faces uplifted in prayer. God will rescue us. He will rescue and cha uh, challenge and strengthen the church through prayer. 
In two weeks, John Montgomery's going to preach on, on prayer, and I don't want to steal his thunder, but I can't wait because there's going to be a prayer initiative for the church after that. We're going to challenge you to pray for 30 days. Uh, pray for, for the church and for one another that our faces may be lifted up. But not only is there a power of prayer, did you see the purpose of prayer? It's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting because Paul doesn't say, hey, God, use your prayers. It's really good because I'm no longer out of danger. I'm now safe. No, he says this. God uses the prayers, the prayers of many faces uplifted and that powerfully. He uses our prayers. The ultimate purpose is for his praise, for his glory. Unbelievable. Listen, God has ultimately made you for his praise and glory. That is your reason for existence. God has ultimately called us together for his praise and glory. God has called us sometimes into some pretty bad storms for his praise and glory. God has delivered us from some really rotten junk sometimes for his praise and glory. God has taken us from darkness into light, made us children from nature of wrath to uh, children of God. He's done all of these things. He's loved us for his glory. And he says to the church, now listen, you're going to see affliction. Affliction is going to come because there's a battle between light and darkness that's going on. But light wins. I win. I raise the dead. You're on my team. I'm equipping you. I'm giving you a uniform. I'm giving you the armor of God. Don't you dare just try to keep it shiny. Get out there into your neighborhood. Get out there into your workspace. Get out there with your crazy family. Get out there wherever I call you. Mix it up. You will have affliction. You will have strife. You will have trouble. But you're going to rejoice at the end of the day with the kinks in your armor and know that God raises the dead and know for the glory of God you played. It mattered. Your life counted. The last thing that we want, church, is just to be benign. You know that's what the enemy wants us to do. May we truly not ever turn in a suit of armor without some kinks, dents, and war stories for Jesus. May we always know, Christians, Orangewood, what doesn't kill you in this life should make you dependent more on Jesus. Those things in your life that are burrs and difficult, especially when you're living for him, are ultimately to show you the beautiful grace of God that Jesus is enough. Don't you dare for a moment, Orangewood, think that things come this way so we're strong. So it's about us. Because those, all those things make us independent. God wants us to have a childlike faith dependent upon him for his glory. Orangewood. Shoot the moon. Shoot the moon for the glory of God. God delivers us. What does that mean in your life? What does shooting the moon look like for you? I don't know. But I will tell you this. You have the cards. And to not go for it would be a tragedy. If you have Jesus, he's raised the dead. Shoot the moon with your life for his glory. And remember the blessed storms that come that drive us to Jesus. May we be a people that lean into those storms and say, show us Jesus. Let us pray. Father, 
the way Paul sees affliction is completely opposite to the way I naturally would ever want to see it. But God, I thank you for the reality of affliction. <laughs> I thank you for the reality that godly people doing godly things are going to get a really difficult time in life sometimes. Because sometimes I'm trying to live for you and we're trying to live for you and bad stuff happens and we start thinking, well, what's wrong? You're kidding, what's wrong? This is what you called us to. Yes, we have peace in the midst of the storms. And yes, we're to rejoice and have joy. Why? Because we are part of your family advancing Christ's kingdom. Father, I pray at the end of the day that there wouldn't be a child of the king in this room that will be able to have to turn in a suit of armor that has no signs of being in a battle, has no signs of conflict, that really just show a life that didn't matter. Jesus, it's amazing what you've done for us, that with you who now we know has conquered death, that we have the ability to even, just to go for it, shoot the moon, because you have delivered, you will deliver, you are delivering us. But God, when we also be a praying church, and we lift up our faces to heaven, know the power that comes from a group of people praying to Father in Jesus' name that you use our prayers. But God, may all of these things, all of the fiction, all of the hope, all of the joy, all of the struggle, all the pain, all of it, may all of it be done to bring you glory and praise because you deserve it. What a great God you are. God, I pray you teach us this through the power of your spirit. Amen.